Go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles with you, open with me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing our series on the sermon, from the Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking today about the Lord's Prayer. Um, my name is Casey. I'm one of the teaching elders here at Redeemer Church, and it's so glad to have you here on this beautiful summer day, uh, and it's much cooler in here, thankfully, uh, for that. Um, I want to say that uh, this last week, the Roe versus Wade uh, reversal, um, I want to say, yes, while we applaud, I also want us to be, as Christians, mindful of what that means our responsibility is, um, because uh, some of the reason I believe people have chosen to go through that act and to make that choice is because um, they didn't know that grace was available and help was here, or it wasn't. Um, and so I, I want to say, rather than, while this has been prayer in the making um, for a long time, and we want to be people that are for life, for sure, uh, we also want to ensure that they're given, those who continue to live are given a fair chance at it. And so that means we have responsibility as the church, not just Redeemer Church, but as the church as a whole. Um, and so um, I've said crazy things to people, you know, when we're sitting around a fi my fire pit having one-on-one -on -one, uh, communication and everything else that helps provoke their thinking. But I was visiting with a friend this week who uh, works with the CPS, does stuff with the CPS, and he said there's, there's a lot of children in the foster system that are not placed, and so they end up living in the CPS offices, right? And so... Uh, I just want us to be sober-minded in the fact that we have responsibility, church, that while we say, hey, we are for life and we are pro-life and we're pro all this kind of stuff, one, people who may have a different view from us may not know the Lord Jesus and come from a very worldly, earthly, scientific background, and so this is going to be disorienting. Many of us grew up with it legal, those of us who are younger, like, and so that's just an option, right? And so... While I want to rejoice that prayers have been answered and there's an opportunity not only to preserve life, but for us as the church to be bearers of life-giving activity, that we might do so with humility, that we might do so with grace, that the gospel of Christ might not just be in word, but matched in deed. Right? And so we can, we can amen, we can say awesome, we can click like on Facebook, we can go on our rants, we can degrade other people. But I want you to know I've sat with enough women who have made that choice and have later come to regret it that their orientation and their thinking through making that choice wasn't like, let me murder someone today. Okay, and so we have to realize that, hey, it's a complicated issue, church. Um, and so, so for my super conservative friends, you're like, well, C-school and liberal on me? No, no. I am pro-life, but I think life isn't just merely maintaining a heartbeat, it's having a quality of life and an opportunity to experience it, and most importantly, to have family. So what does that mean for us? With our time, our homes, our spare bedrooms, our money, yeah, I said two weeks in a row I talk about money, right? Let's not be those people that are hands-off and condemnatory but don't want to offer any other solution. In my businesses, we call that throwing a dead cat. Cats are, cats are gross enough in real life when they're living. <laughs> too far. Now we're mad. Before, we're like, okay, we're on the same page. Now that's too... But it's basically when you come 
with a problem without trying to bring solutions. And we in Christ have been given a lot of solutions, and we are with the creator of the universe, and we are the ones that come to be a family to those without a family, a resource to those without resource, life-giving, life-sustaining, life-building. And so what might that look like for us? And the reality is that even when it was a more easily accessible option, I'm concerned that maybe we hadn't done enough to make others aware that there are other opportunities and people that actually care to help bring another solution. Investing in pregnancy centers, volunteering in them, communicating about them, right? And so while we can say, yes, a prayer has been answered, the Lord is then entrusting us with much greater responsibility moving forward and a lot of mercy and grace. So you don't have to agree with me. You can disagree with part of what I said, all of what I said, or anything else. I hope you hear my plea is this, that this is an opportunity for the church to remind the world that while we go wayward often as the bride of Christ, that he is living and active. And we ask the Lord, Lord, help us to be the type of people that bring mercy, grace, and life to people rather than life-taking activity and life-taking attitudes. And so as we talk through prayer today, one of the most life-giving tools that has been entrusted to us from God our Father to commune with him, to communicate with him, not because he needs us to place our orders, but it rightly aligns us back to who he is and how he is, what he is, and what all that means for us. We turn to the teaching of Jesus as he is instructing his people and the people who are far off and the people who are, think they have it all sorted out on how then they should pray. Not if, he's presuming that they, they do. And in fact, Jewish people were expected to pray uh, around three times a day most days. They were praying a lot, right? So he's bringing a corrective as he's been through this sermon on how to pray, to whom to pray, the why behind praying. And so let's pick up in Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Remember last week we said hypocrite is an actor, a fake, a fraud, a pretender. Don't be like that. You want a quick test to see how you're doing on the hypocrisy scale or integrity scale? I had my mentor the first time I met him. His name's Dr. Joey Dotson. He's a professor of New Testament now at Denver Seminary. And he, he looks younger than me still, but he's, he's got a few years on me. Uh, and he sat there with me and he said this. He said, Casey, on a scale of one to 10, how do people view you as a, as a man of faith and everything else? Ten's like the Apostle Paul on his good day. One is like a Judas Iscariot. And I say, oh, they probably view me around a six or seven. I said, some might be fooled to think I'm an eight. And he said, uh, what's the reality? I said, between three to four. He said, that, my friend, there is called a gap in integrity. And he said, if you want to know more of God, reconnect with where you are and where you want to become and go that direction and quit worrying so much about the opinions of others. And that was 20 years ago. Ask me how I'm doing. By God's grace, a little better. But days I, I act like an atheist, if we're real on I don't pray, I don't read the scriptures. I wish death upon people who cut me off. A merciful type of some sort. But still nonetheless. 
But don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when you go and pray, it's not just about going and showing off how godly you seem, but going into private and acknowledging how godly you are not yet. And how much of God you actually need. Now, he's not saying, well, we shouldn't pray at church, or we shouldn't pray together, or we shouldn't pray for each other, or I shouldn't pray from the stage. But he's saying, if all you're doing is praying when you are seen, then your reward is going to be, you've been seen. So the eternal, almighty, all-gracious, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-forgiving God, you can have... Or my buddy Dave thinks I'm godly. That's the exchange. I don't know about you, but there have been times my idolatry has been deeply rooted in the opinions of other people. My wife, my friends, people in my church, people outside my church, the opinions of people that don't like me. Me spending all my time, energy, and affection trying to figure out why in the world they wouldn't like me. What can I do to make them like me? And so my pleas and my prayer have gone misdirected that I might get their approval temporarily when I have the eternal one that approves of me when I don't deserve it. Easier said than done, and that's why we're on a journey together and we come back next week and we're reminded that, hey, got a F plus. I don't know if that's even a grade. I think once you get below like D minus, it's just F, right? But we'll call it an F plus. You're failing, but you're not completely dead yet. But you come back next Sunday, you're like, wow, I, I know what I ought to do, but I, I don't do it. I know what I should be doing, but my heart wants one thing, and my flesh does something else. You're living in that Roman 7 world. And you come back, and you're like, God blew it. And you're reminded. And I was talking to a friend, and I said, you know, the Lord's not as concerned with your position, how close in proximity, more of your direction. The Pharisees, the hypocrites, Believed they were very close, but the problem was their back was turned on the Lord. And while Jesus was going after the ones that were far off, they were scrapping through the mud, but they were facing the right direction. And so in prayer, we come reorienting us back in the right direction, aligning us with the one who is our sustainer, the one who actually sees in secret and knows in secret and sees the fact that, hey, they might all be fooled, but the Lord's not, and he's like, I choose to love you anyways. I choose to hear you anyways. I choose to see you as you are, and I see Christ in you, which is my joy. That's my satisfaction. That is my hope for us to realize today your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if you want to be seen, go get quiet and get alone and get still and commune. And be seen and loved anyways. It goes on. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him doesn't mean we don't pray, but it's an alignment of acknowledging, God, this is my need. And the Lord's like, yeah, it is. Or, but even there's more. What's, what's underneath that? 
God, I need this. Well, why? Because I feel unsafe. Why do you feel unsafe? Because I'm doing this thing. What, what does this communion look like so that you might be actually heard? Most of us long to be seen and to be heard, yet we go for it in all the wrong places to feel seen and to feel heard. He says, when you pray, don't keep rambling. So when I was a kid, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be a little vulnerable. When I was about eight years old, was my first noticeable bout with depression and anxiety and highly OCD and superstitious. So I didn't grow, I went to church on and off as a child, but wasn't in a categorically Christian home per se. Um, it was maybe culturally, we did Christmas and things like that, but like we didn't talk much about the faith unless we were doing something wrong. Well, that's not very Christian-like. Not really sure what is, but that isn't. So I, I know it's not, right? And much grace to my folks. We, we've all been on a journey, but didn't know a whole lot. And so I thought when I prayed at night, my biggest fear was something bad would happen to my parents. And so I would literally fall asleep saying, please, 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 please. And I would exhaust myself wondering how many heaping words I could say that might fall on the feet of that noble unknown God. I guess I was a functional deist at the time. I didn't have a term back then, but in case he would be bothered with my words, if I said it enough, he would know I'm serious, and I really didn't want anything to happen. So, yeah, a lot of issues there, OCD, ADHD, all that stuff, happening at night, falling asleep. And fortunately, those things that I asked for didn't happen, but I, I didn't know the Lord. It, the, the evidence there wasn't, oh, poor OCD kid, it was he didn't know the character of his God. That he's like, I know you want to be loved and cared for by your family, by your parents, and I hear you. You only need to ask one please. And even if you forget to say please, I still hear you. We have a God who hears and who knows. I think a lot of us think if we've been away from the Lord for a bit or haven't been praying much that we come back and we have to go through the, the, just the laundry list of all our mess-ups and that he's going to be shocked by what we've been up to. He knows. Confession is just agreeing with God. Hey, God, I did this. That was off. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And Jesus steps in and says, and I paid for that too. In this prayer of this relational activity, we can be heard. We don't have to heap things up in public and keep our words going. There's sometimes the only prayer you can say is, God, please help. In contrast to the prayers of the hypocrites and the Gentiles, Jesus' prayer is relational, not just mechanical or a performance. This is a relational prayer, not a mechanical one. Now, um, you know, when I did go to church as a kid, I was in a United Methodist church, very liturgical. We would say the Lord's Prayer every week. I know several faith backgrounds, they say it weekly. And it's fine to use that as a prayer. It's a good prayer to pray. But remember that we are called into conversation with a loving Father. And this is not about technique or skill or experience, but about relational connection between father and child. It's a loving connection. Now, some of us may not have experienced too much of that growing up, and so the idea of a father who's knowledgeable and, and loving and caring and forgiving and merciful may be not what we had experienced. And so one of the ways I've helped folks is 
Whatever deficiencies your earthly fathers and as one, I know I have plenty, distracted, irritable at times, right? Whatever those is, just say, man, that was hurtful. My father's opposite. And be able to start rebuilding that trust, knowing that in the most perfect way, he knows, he cares, and he pursues, and he meets with us. So what exactly is prayer? Prayer is simply listening and speaking to God in the most basic form. Communication is key to any relationship. If you're not talking in a relationship, a relationship doesn't go well. Raise your hands if you've been in a significant relationship or are married. Look around. It's a bunch of sinners. Look around. Okay. How many of you have ever experienced a miscommunication that caused way more pain than necessary? And how many of you were the cause of that? No, I'm kidding. Uh, so <laughs> starting doing some of this stuff over here, right? But it's communication. Key relationship requires intentional communication. And so one of the ways we balance this is that's why the Word of God is important. So as we pray, we know that we're not just hearing our own voice, our own desires, because we can compare it to the Word of God. And so when someone says to me, God told me that blank, I can say to them, okay, let's compare that to what Scripture says. Not because I'm suspicious of every human being, but I am suspicious of every human being. And it starts with myself. Right? I'm very suspicious of my personality type. The first person I'll spin towards is myself. So I have to go back and say, well, the Bible says this, but I really think this. Ah. I'm going to default in faith towards what this says. You know, I don't necessarily want to. I go back. Not always. After that, I'm helped. But communication is key to any relationship. Charles Spurgeon says that prayer is dealing with God. He also says prayer is a natural gushing out of a soul in communion with Jesus. Guess what? God can handle it. He actually can handle it. A lot of you ladies, your husbands, they kind of their eyes kind of spin and go blank when you're bringing a lot. They're just kind of like, I think my phone rang. I got to go. Your father in heaven's like, yeah, that's a lot. I don't know about you, but when someone says they're mad at me, what's my first temptation? Be defensive. When you go to God and say, God, I'm mad at you, he said, tell me why. Okay, why? My kids were much more open when they were little to tell me they're mad at me because, you know, they didn't have filters. Because now they know it's going to be a long conversation because I'm going to want to work it out. So now I'm like, what are you feeling right now? Frustrated. And then I ask this tricky question, well, what were you expecting? You go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm mad at you. And he says, it's not the most mature thing because, you know, like, hey, after we understand who the Lord is and I walk with him for a while, there's a big trust and we can say, Lord, I'm confused, I don't understand. But you can say, God, and people have come to me and like, I, I just don't want to talk about it. So what is it? I feel mad at God. And they expect me to fix them. And I say, okay. So what do you want to do with that? Well, I mean, you're not supposed to be mad. Okay, but are you? Yeah. Well, what do you want to do with that? But you're not supposed to. Yeah, you're not supposed to. Fine, you're not supposed to. I think it's more dynamic than that. But let me, let me, let me 
curtail some of your concern. He can handle it. The enemy wants you to be like, you're right, you're mad, you should be mad, this is unfair, this is unfair, this shouldn't have happened. You're right, keep being mad, because what? It keeps us from relationship. And so the very one who is able to actually carry the load, we turn away from and go to things that were never intended to carry the load. Whether it's bad relationship, good relationship, substance abuse, you name it. So maybe some of you today are mad with God or mad at God. My encouragement would be change your thinking, change your direction, go tell them. The churchy word is called repent. And as I say the word, but God, it's not fair, the, the image of Christ on the cross pops in my soul. And the Lord says, I get it. I know the feeling. He understands. He's actually with you in that. Should you go on being angry? It only hurts you long term. So in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, we have what's called the Lord's Prayer. And it says, pray then like this. So this isn't a lockdown of the only prayer we're allowed to give. This is a template, an outline, a way to pray. It's not wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer, but it's not a rigid script to follow. Though there's great benefit in actually memorizing and reflecting on this, reciting this prayer regularly, but a helpful guide for all of Jesus' disciples on what prayer should actually look like. Martin Luther, who was known to say crazy things like, uh, you know, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Talk about master procrastination in the name of the Lord. But I believe him. But his barber and friend once asked him, he's like, hey, Martin, or priest, or whatever they called him, how do I pray better? And Martin Luther said, take the Lord's Prayer and break it down phrase by phrase and use those as a prompt. Phrase by phrase, use it as a prompt. So pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, you are our Father, you are over all things. You are powerful, you are sovereign, you are good. Your name is other and best and good, and that's the, my brand. It's to be revered, it's to be honored, it's to be repositioning of who God is and who we're not. Beginning the prayer with the focus on the Lord rather than the mirror. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, respected, revered, rightfully so. Lord, I admit that I haven't been respecting your name in the way that I ought to. Right? That prompts us to relate. And it doesn't have to be in this order. I know I'm going to throw you linear thinkers off. But if you haven't spoken to the Lord in a while, you might say, Lord, you are worth it, and I realize I've been off. God, forgive me my sins. I feel like they've been prohibiting me from trusting you, and I've been believing false things, and you can jump back in. But it's interesting the way Jesus orders the prayer. It's to the Father in heaven. And Jesus, his, his business on earth was to always point people to a right relationship with the Father, that he would 
advocate on our behalf and that the spirit that was sent would help us to connect to the Lord on behalf. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pray to Jesus or to pray to the Holy Spirit or in the name of all three, but there does seem to be a predominant pattern of praying to our Heavenly Father, which is a huge privilege. We don't need an intermediary other than Jesus Christ himself. We can pray to our Father in heaven. But this is where it gets hard, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know about you, but I think our environment, our culture, our nation is about kingdom building. Our own. Now you might be saying, no, I'm here for the greater good. Fine. I would just say, if I'm being honest with you, it's often tempting to think through my world and allow you, you people to be a part of it. I'm not the only one. You can be like, oh, that's, you need to grow up. Fair. And I try to repent of that and realign it, but we are kingdom builders. And so in this realignment of like, God, I, I'm reminded it's your kingdom, not my kingdom. It's your will, not my will. And let it be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Rather than packing it up and hiding on a compound and waiting for the return of the Lord and eating out of five-gallon five buckets of dried-out food, being afraid of everyone around us, we actually engage in the world for the kingdom purpose that while they might kill my body, they cannot destroy my soul in hell. We can actually engage culture and bring the gospel out to a dying and perishing world because it's his kingdom, and we want to see traces of that and images of that on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to know, if, I hope we have some preppers here because if things get real bad, worse than I expect, I will show up with my family. And I'm not really good for anything like mechanical, so... I can reach stuff higher in my home. That's about it. But we're realigning with his kingdom, not our kingdom. And this is where it gets real hard. Give us this day our fully funded 401k. No, 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 no. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for today. This seems to indicate there's going to be an ongoing nature to praying with the Father and acknowledgement that provision comes from the Father and realignment that the Lord might use us to be a provider for someone who cannot provide for themselves. This realignment with daily reminder of provision by the hand of the Father is then when we pray, or as my girls said when they're little talk at our food before a meal, it's a moment to pause and be grateful that the Lord has provided. With gratitude, we receive. But it's interesting. He says, give us our daily bread. Yes. Hope it's a good loaf. Hope it's sourdough. <laughs> but immediately, and forgive us our debts. Basically, give us what we need even though we don't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. We don't, we don't deserve food or life and you're giving us both. It's a reorientation, a realignment with who he is. And not one that's just like to make us feel so horrible. Because guess what? If it's all about making us horrible, then it's actually idolatry because we're only thinking about ourselves. It's his goodness and power and greatness that realigns us to a place of repentance to redirect us to the source of life and forgiveness and joy. 
that through Christ we have access to the Father who gives us what we need today. How many of you struggle with worry besides me? Just me? Come on, liars. If you say, I don't worry about a thing, and you're not a Googillionaire, I would love to talk with you. Because it's funny, even like people are like, well, if I had $10 million, I'd be super, you know. No. Then they just worry about keeping it or making it more. Right? There's, there's always stress around stuff and wealth, and not that it's bad in and of itself. But as the prophet Biggie Small says, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> Parents, if you don't know what that is, you can ask me afterwards. You may not want to Google it. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Why? As we have forgiven those who trespass our debtors. Ha! Guess I'm going to go hungry. That's not the point. He's not, give us food, forgive us because we've forgiven. No, no, no. It's acknowledging that your forgiveness and our offense is greater than any forgiveness we need to offer elsewhere. You may not feel that way. You may not be there yet. Get it. But it's a reorientation again of alignment of what's true so that when our emotions aren't yet matching that, there's prayer. Prayer is an act of faith, hope. Make this true in me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Anyone ever thought that's a strange one? Well, why in the world would the Lord tempt us to sin? Well, it doesn't say, Lord, don't tempt us. James teaches the Lord doesn't tempt. But I would point you back um, to uh, Matthew 4, two chapters earlier. Let me read Matthew 4, verses 1 for you. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Huh? So when Jesus, after going through that season, being fully God, fully man, but tempted means that there was some consideration around giving into because he was also human. And so when Jesus says, like, please don't let us be tempted, free us from temptation, help us out of temptation, he's coming, not because, although Jesus was completely sinless, doesn't mean he was not tempted. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. Acting upon that temptation is. Temptation is actually an invitation to worship. Who or what are you going to value in that moment? When you're tempted to sin, you can either worship the devil and do what you're being tempted to do, or resist the devil and he will flee from you and draw near to God and God will draw near to you. That's in James 5, or 4, verses 7 and 8. So we, we have a choice when being tempted. Thank you for this opportunity to worship. God, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to resist with your help. I'm going to say no today to this, I'm going to think differently or move that direction or ask for help. And Jesus isn't saying, don't let us be tempted, but Lord, we trust that you know our limits better than we do. We acknowledge that. And man, can we be arrogant about that. Notice that Jesus' prayer is mainly about God. 
It's taking what he knows of God and presenting it to God. Not that God's like, yep, that's right, that's right. That, yeah, that, tell me more. As he's aligning and agreeing, it's worship. God, you are these things. You are our provider. You are our forgiver. You are your kingdom we're building, not ours. As the Pharisees and Gentiles are doing, seeing to get all this attention and accolades to build their own kingdoms, we're not going to do that. We're going to instead go secretly and privately and declare our great need to the Lord in a way that is acknowledging who God is. And before we request gifts, we actually release control. And so our requests become more God-honoring the more we delight ourselves in the Lord and he gives us the desires of our heart. As we come and say, not my kingdom. Doesn't, listen, your father in heaven isn't a stingy father. He's not always looking at the cash envelope saying, like, that's not in the budget. That kind of wife or that kind of forgiveness or that kind of life, that's not in the budget. He's not always like, no, 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 he's not doing that. He's a generous father, but he does want your good because he must be jealous first for his glory. Because if he shared his glory with anyone else or anything else, he would not be fit to be God. And so as, as we come and as we pray, we worship and then we request. We worship, then we request. And guess what? The good news is God is not trapped by our request. He can say no. Or he can say not yet. Or he can say yes. I think a lot of us wish the kingdom of God worked like a Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Tons of people pouring in, high demand, cheerful people taking the requests along the way, and you get to glory very quickly. Most of us actually experience prayer more like a sonic. You push the button and it flashes back, and randomly the slushy machine quits working. So you have to settle for something else. You get your stuff, and it looks so good on the pictures, and then the outcome is less tasty than how it looked. We're not going to transact. It's not a drive-through. It's a relationship. Founded on trust that if broken can be rebuilt, through Christ is rebuilt, that we can go and enjoy. Prayers about God. We request our gifts after we worship and release control. Another thing we see is that Jesus' prayer here overall is quite simple. So if you're like, oh, I'm new to the faith, I don't know much, start with that. God, I don't know much. I know that you saved me through Christ. I know that I'm an idiot and I deserve punishment. Instead, you give me grace. I'm hungry, you feed me. Uh, bank account's low, you give me work and I get some more money. And uh, help me forget Aunt Margaret, she's... A piece of work because you've forgiven me. Okay, that's a start. And some of us are like, unless I have an hour and a half for a quiet time and I'm listening to my favorite Spotify worship mix, I cannot pray. Stop being a hypocrite. Pray as you go, pray without ceasing, utter your prayers. Say them up. As, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There are times where we posture, uh, posture ourselves before God and say, I can't, I believe you can help. And we weep or we wait and we receive. 
But really, why don't we pray? Well, number one, there's a lot of guilt around prayer, if we're honest. I haven't prayed in a long time. God's going to be mad at me. Uh, I've done a lot of bad stuff. I need to clean myself up before I go to the Father. Uh, It doesn't work. There's no one actually on the other end hearing me. There's a lot of reasons why we don't actually pray. And it's easy to overthink prayer, and it's easy to undervalue prayer. Ian Bounds, who's done a lot of work in writing, dead now, but on, on prayer, he says this, prayer is the easiest and hardest thing. It's one of the most powerful gifts that have been entrusted to humankind and the most underutilized. John Piper put it this way. uh, uh, He said this, There is a direct correlation between not knowing Jesus well and not asking him for much. A direct correlation connection between not knowing Jesus very well and not asking for much. And so we, we have to understand, as we mature in the Lord, part of that maturation isn't just knowledge. Have you met very knowledgeable Bible people that are very intolerable to be around? Those of you who knew me in 2007 and 2010, I was borderline that at times. I still can be, but less so. The Lord's been merciful, and he's given me two sweet daughters. That slows you down in a good way. It's helpful, right? But... We have a tendency to, uh, to overthink it, undervalue it, and, and maybe the reason we don't pray is like we have all these assumptions to the Lord that we can take to the Lord. Lord, if you're so sovereign and I don't have any choice at all, then why should I even pray to you? And he'll be like, hey, I love you. Gosh, if, if it was that easy and that simple and that harsh, then I'd have a hard time too. Why don't you go back to read your Bible? Maybe Ephesians 1 or actually open a commentary with Romans 9 through 11 and understand the beautiful tension to be explored in the sovereignty of God and how our volition has been affected by sin and how it's been redeemed in Christ. There are answers, but the enemy loves to say, no, he's not this, he's not that. Didn't he say that you would die? You're not going to die. It's been a game for a while for him, the enemy. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, our God not only hears our prayers, but loves to hear them. Loves to hear them. My daughter Abigail is probably too old for me to hold her on my lap in a restaurant. She's nearly 10. She's my youngest, and I know she's using me because I'm very warm. And she's like, I'm like, you're using me because I'm warm. She's like, no, no, I just want to sit in your lap. I said, why are you shivering? Well, I'm also cold. I'll take it. Whatever it is, I'm like, turn down the thermostat stuff. Let's see what happens at dinner. It's, it's awesome. Let's freeze her out. Right? Because I love my children to be near to me on my best days. And if I'm a sinful, wicked man, how much better is our Father in heaven? How much more does he know how to give good gifts if wicked fathers give good gifts too? How much better must he be? We can go to him. So the outline of prayer can be seen basically broken down this way. From the Lord's Prayer, you have the basis of prayer, who our Father is, his position in heaven, adoration, worship for who he is, submission, your will, not my will, petition, asking and bringing our requests to the Lord, confession, Lord, I've messed up and I haven't arrived yet. Aspiration, please lead us not in temptation. Let us lead a life that is holy and righteous and pure, not to be over anyone, but to, to lead others towards this great new life we have in Christ. 
He goes on to say, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mind you, there's a group of Pharisees and non-believing Gentiles around them who, you know, the Gentiles just raging with words, tons of, tons of words, lots of words, like I'm doing right now, lots of words. And then you have the Pharisees who hearts are cold towards other people who wrong them. I mean, they think the Samaritans are lowly dogs. So Jesus is not just saying like, hey, those of you who've been hurt, if you can't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. Now, there is a, a place towards forgiven. If we grow in our understanding of how forgiven we actually are and the cost of that forgiveness and how much unforgiveness actually harms us and hurts us and limits us, then we begin to understand this prayer of forgiveness. As we know how the holy God has forgiven us and accepted us, his enemies, through the death of his son and the resurrection of his son, we need to be on a journey towards forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is different than trust. There are times where it is unsafe to be in active relationship with someone. So I'm not saying like, hey, forgive and forget. No, no, no. It's saying, God, I trust that you will carry out your justice, and Lord, in the same way you showed mercy to me, might you find a pathway to mercy elsewhere. This corrective of forgiving, now you can read this just in, out of context and say like, well, I'm not able to forgive, so I shouldn't pray. No, 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 that's precisely why you should. Father, I acknowledge your word says this, and I know I've been forgiven much, but the weight of what's been done to me or taken from me or whatever seems much heavier than my conceptualization right now of the gravity of what happened with the Lord. I know that's not true in my mind, but my heart's not there. Please help me. Help me mature. Help me grow. And guess what? He's faithful to bring you on that journey. The enemy wants you to think like, well, until you can wrap that up, don't pray. Jesus is telling those Pharisees that are high and mighty in front of everybody else, shut it. I almost said a Christian swear. Be quiet enough. Stop being a hypocrite. Stop rambling on. Press towards the fact that you have been forgiven. And, and for many of us, until we begin to understand the depths and the gravity of, of, of forgiveness in Christ, then it's going to be impossible to pray something like that. And so maybe you start your prayer there. God, I, I clearly don't have much experience or understanding of the depth and requirement of forgiveness that would free me to be able to live in forgiveness here, will you meet me there? And guess what his answer will be? Yes. It's that agreement with acknowledging of and falling forward into not showing up fully arrived. Go into the secret place and prayer before the Father and ask, Timothy Keller wraps it up this way. He says, what you must have before you pray. Number one, a desire for God himself. Number two, understand your relationship to God is based on grace, an unearned gift. And number three, you need to be forgiving and have good relationships with other people. As you look towards forgiveness, as we look towards tying it in, may we begin by focusing on God's forgiveness towards all of us a sinner what was the cost for us to be forgiven the death of the father's son if that's what was given to us to be acceptable to god the father 
there's a supernatural power to grow and feel the liberating power of forgiveness for us. What we're going to do and respond is just where you are. We're going to take a few moments before we take the Lord's Supper and just pray. Maybe your prayer starts with, God, we haven't spoken in a while. God, I'm mad at you. God, I need you. And I'd love the opportunity to pray with you. And if any of our leaders would like to be available to pray, that's great. But just take a few moments and let's just pray to the Lord. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe your prayer would be, God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, if you're true, show me, help me. That might be your prayer. If you're a follower of Christ and you have been praying, then pray for some of us that find prayer challenging at times or heap overthink it or have too much guilt. And if you pray on occasion and you're like, man, I'm just, I haven't been praying enough, God's not sitting there with a ledger open saying like, look, Bob, you had 32% this year. You've got to up your game. No, no, no. Come back. So let's pray.